This is episode 360 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's articles are Off-Grid Solutions to Live Dainty Living and Money Saving, Part 1, and 5 Reasons to Own a 22 Rifle. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey everyone, before we get started, I want to let you know that this episode is sponsored by my new ebook, The Preparedness Community's Guide to a Microbiz and Increasing Your Finances. If you'd like some more information, you can click the link in the show notes or come on over to the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. And one more reminder before we get started, uh, this Thursday on Facebook at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time, I normally do a Facebook Live if, if I have something of value to share, and uh, that's most, most weeks I do go live. And uh, this, this Thursday, I am going to be interviewing Mick Rowland of MickRowland.com. He is an author and blogger and really looking forward to that. And so if you can join me, I'd love to have you over on the Prepper website Facebook page, and uh, we'll be going live, like I said, there at 8 o'clock, and uh, just kind of going to, you know, we don't have any more to talk about, uh, and we'll just uh, go from there. So uh, we'll see you there on Thursday. All right, so let's go ahead and start our first article of the podcast. It comes to us from PreppersWill.com, and the title of the article is Off-Grid Solutions to Less Dainty Living and Money Saving Part 1. And uh, definitely part one's really good. Part two is uh, as well. Um, this one, you know, a lot of the times when people get into preparedness as they start following through, one of the, the, the romantic ideas is to go off grid or go, you know, to get to the point where you're homesteading. And, uh, you know, you might be new to preparedness. Uh, I, know, I know I have a lot of new people listening to the podcast Uh, new to preparedness and you're finding us on iTunes or or some of the other podcast networks out there and uh, you might like what the heck I don't want to go off grid I don't want to go and uh, do anything like that but you uh, you know that might get there's a lot of people actually out there there's a lot of people who want to eventually get to the point where they're homesteading or going off grid and so you can look at this article two different ways one um, for the off grid aspect of it or you can actually look at it if there ever was an event where there was no electricity, whatever that, you know, whatever that entails, whether that's, you know, a cyber situation, you know, where they a cyber terrorism, whether that's an EMP, solar flare, or just, uh, you know, the electric grid is just so old, it starts uh, really just you know, bogging down and starts, uh, you know, re- really getting to the point where it, it just um, is not working anymore. Actually, that was one of the articles I read this week. Um, because um, Texas is just so hot right now. They said that the, the power company is just working overtime. So they went into, uh, well, they realized it was going to be a hot summer, so they were purchasing electricity from other places. And, and right now we haven't experienced a lot of uh, brownouts, but uh, you know that's always, that has been part of the situation in the past. Now, of course, you know, those are uh, easy to get through because you know that you're going to lose power for a little bit and it's going to come back on. 
But if there was a situation where the, the grid went down for whatever reason and then you were, um, you were kind of stuck, what would you do? And so this article might offer a little bit of advice there for you on uh, how you would continue moving on with that. Uh, and that, you know, after talking about Mick Rowland there, uh, we are probably going to touch on that just a little bit as well because people used to live like that, right? People lived without power for many hundreds and thousands of years. And uh, so it's definitely doable. Um, we're not used to it. But uh, here's some ideas if we ever get into that situation. So off-grid solutions to less dainty living and money saving part one. An off-grid life is a goal for many of us, and being self-sufficient is what prepping is all about. However, the adjustments to an off-grid life may be difficult for some people. If they don't get used to the routine, they will bounce back on the grid. In this two-part article, you will see how I handle the off-grid life and how I manage to save money here and there. Hey, don't forget to throw those towels in the dryer. Bye. Love you. Got it. Towels. Dryer. Twist a knob. Clean the lint trap. Toss in a dryer sheet. Mm, that smells delicious. Push the button. 20 minutes later. Clunk, clunk, clunk. Bang, boom, pow. An electrical buzz hums around the hot, stale air of the laundry room. What was that? What is this? These clothes are still sopping wet. Stupid, unreliable piece of junk machine. Yes, surely many of us have gone through this very struggle or possibly a stream of other struggles that come along with all those so-called luxuries we keep up with in our homes. It could be the refrigerator shooting an irreparable leak or all your electricity going out during an already terrifying natural disaster. It is always something and forevermore will be. This week though, we are already major fans of hanging clothes out in the breeze to dry naturally. That something was our dryer. It just went kaflui, which is no good in the rainy spring season, such as the one we are in now. But it also got me thinking of the simpler times and how much more convenient having no power really is for us and nature, our wallets and natural resources. For most of us, the loss of power would potentially mean the total loss of normality. Our daily routines and lifestyles have become wholly subject to the grid's support, so much so that we can hardly even function without it. Questions to keep in mind. Without our pocket parrots, how can we ever know the answer to a handful of questions? How can we cook ourselves a meal if we have no power? How can we find our ways through a pitch black house in the wee hours of the morning? How will we stay warm when we rely on a unit that runs off power? What will we do with the freezer, refrigerator filled with expensive groceries? And how do we catch the news and the local happenings when the television has fallen silent? What can we drink if our water is coming from a system that requires electrical pumps? These are extremely important questions for us, for us all to consider seriously. The Red Cross, as well as the Federal Emergency Management Agency, believes that preparations for a minimum of three days of power outage are actions that all Americans should take now. Now that we understand the importance of preparedness, let's drive straight into some specifics. Luxuries you can learn to let go of. Alright, first one is life without electricity. Eventually, you are going to experience it when living off-grid. It will happen at the most inopportune moment. The power will go out. The worst part is that you may never know when or even if it will come back on. 
Believe it or not, this doesn't even have to be the work of some evildoers from a faraway land either. It could be a sudden ice storm or a heavy windstorm that tears down power lines and blows transformers. Severe weather is just as apt to occur with just as much ease as it takes you to tune into your favorite episodes. It could be caused by faulty power company apparatuses. No matter the situation, the effect is the same. Anything electrical in your home will stop working. There are a handful of primary areas that are dexterously interrupted when the power goes out. Each one, especially this day and age, is crucial to day-to-day survival. It is important to keep these in mind when preparing yourself for emergency situations. Light. How can we find our way through a pitch black house in the wee hours of the morning? Believe it or not, living without electrical lights may be much more pleasurable experience than you may have originally had in mind. There is a certain light, a blue light, that most all electronic screens and some LED lighting put off that is quite harmful to the eyes and the mind. The blue light is comparable to the blue type light that makes the difference between day and night. Once that daylight begins to set, our bodies begin to naturally release melatonin, which is the hormone that puts us into our sleep mode, preparing us for a restful night. When the body recognizes the blue light, it instantly stops producing melatonin, causing sleep issues that we may never have known existed. There are numerous outlets for secondary lighting. Therefore, this list is not intended to be exhaustive. The classic flashlight. Do you have one stowed away? Maybe in the drawer of lost long particulars, or if you are the prepper you had ought to be by your bedside. If so, welcome to the club of very small percentage. Surprising as it may seem, many Americans do not have a flashlight handy for emergency scenarios. Fresh batteries and a fresh extra set will put you even further ahead in the game. The flashlight should be kept where you can swiftly reach it. And I know, guys, lately I've uh, talked a lot about the Survival Hacks flashlight because they just gave us a great deal, kind of pass that along to y'all. And, uh, you know, it comes with... Uh, the um, it was a, a th- 1000 lumen flashlight it comes with a rechargeable battery and you know the, the charger and all that kind of stuff and so i thought that was just a really good deal and i have purchased uh, numerous uh, numbers of those and i know uh, you have as well and so you just want to make sure that those are kept charged and uh, you do have one by your uh, your bedside and uh, that has come in handy for me many times where I've been able to grab my flashlight and produce light and if you you, you really need to uh, you know illuminate your bedroom uh, for whatever reason in the middle of the night uh, I have used mine and you know you just turn it on and you flip it on its and uh, just kind of stand it up actually and uh, it provides a lot of light and so uh, hopefully you do have a good flashlight and you do have batteries that can back that up. Uh, the rechargeable batteries that come with that Survival Hacks flashlight, um, you, can, you can buy uh, extra ones off of Amazon as well. And so you just have spared ones uh, you know, charged up already to go. All right, so let's go ahead and continue on. Hurricane or Aladdin kerosene lanterns. Aladdin lamps are kerosene lamps that use a mantle but are not pressurized. This clean burning fuel can also prevent rust plus you can use it as a lubricant or as a solvent to remove oil grease and tar granted these will cost you a bit in the kerosene it takes to fire them up but the lighting will do wonders for your darling dwelling its soothing yellow glow will put you right in the mood for an evening read yes enchanting 
Did I mention tying dry flies for tomorrow's fishing under these magnificent shades of soft yellow? Another wonderful aspect to these is that you will not have to deal with the pricing whims of the local power company. Propane tank lamps. These are ideal for an off-grid living experience. 100-hour candles. Survival candles are a major necessity for any prepper. Any candles will do, but the 100-hour candles name explain its importance. Hey guys, and just you know, one of those uh, things there. Just look for candles whenever you can, like at garage sales, at resale shops. Um, you know, you, you can find sometimes the really big candles, and they do come in uh, handy. Um, so I, I know that I've talked about that before in the past on the podcast. All right, uh, moving along. Natural sunlighting during the day, having many windows and perhaps a skylight of sorts in the roof will provide you with plenty of light. If you have the opportunity to build your own dwelling, you should be sure to place the foundation in a way that you can fully utilize all the windows you put in. This can also help with your heating and cooling mentioned later. Solar lighting. The last but most reliable for the most part, if monies are available, are solar lighting apparatuses. There are several available options for solar lighting and power. From cheap to expensive, you can be hooked up with, the some, with some stellar solar options. The only catch, you must have full and direct sunlight in most cases. And uh, yeah, guys, there's those systems that you can buy and you know, they're all already made for you and all that kind of stuff all in one little uh, nice setup. Or, or you can make your own. And I, I know that I've shared information on that before as well. Um, when you when you make your own solar setup, uh, even if it's just to power a few lights and things, you know, you're not trying to power your whole house. Um, you know, it's it's pretty inexpensive when you really start to uh, to do it yourself. And it's a you know maybe like a fourth to a half of what buying like a goal zero might be. But if you you know if you want that all that package nice and put together, definitely goal zeros are are uh, really great products. All right, so let's talk a little bit about no running water. Water, the source of life. It is well known that water that is liberated of bacteria and can contamination is crucial to our survival. Therefore, it should be one of your main concerns in preparation. The typical American currently uses around 70 gallons a day, taking a nice long hot shower, flushing the toilet several times, washing a load of laundry, letting the water run while brushing teeth, and for cooking and drinking. In a short-term emergency, only drinking and cooking water is crucial. But if that short-term incident drags out to weeks or months, Daily consumption will rise to include bathing and clothes washing. If you happen to live in a town or in a city, the loss of electricity will affect your water system by possibly causing a reverse seepage to come back up the pipework. If your water comes from an electric pump, your water will stop its flow the second the power does. With the loss of power in most homes comes the loss of water. The most efficient way of guaranteeing quality water is to store it now. Your emergency stash should have a minimum of one gallon per person. This means bathing is totally out of the equation. You can get several gallons of distilled water from any local supermarket for next to nothing. In reality, you should change out the water collection once a month or so to ensure its freshness. So guys, water is very important. You should have a solution there. Um, you know, you can get 55-gallon drums. Um, I've said this before. My wife and I, that was the first purchase when she kind of came on board preparedness is a 55-gallon uh, drum so that we could store water. All right, moving on. 
A drilled well with an electric pump can be retrofitted with a plastic hand pump for about $400 to $600. These systems sit side by side with your electric pump down the same well shaft and can be used anytime the power is off. Typical delivery is about 2 gallons per minute and pumping strength varies from 11 to 20 pounds, a good but not exhausting workout. Farm stores often sell water tanks made of heavy grade plastic. These can be partially buried underground to keep water cooler and less susceptible to mold and bacteria. These run about $1 per gallon of holding capacity, so a 350-gallon tank new will cost $350. Plan to filter and purify the water before use. Collecting water can be done by hand with a 5-gallon plastic bucket if you live near a river or a stream. It must be filtered and purified before use. You can also divert rainwater off your roof through the rain gutters and downspouts into plastic trash cans. Be sure, of course, to check your local laws as some areas do not allow rain catching. That is just the stupidest thing. I know know I've, I've dwelt on this before, but it is really stupid just the fact that you can't catch your own rain. Uh, that's just so dumb. So those of you that are, are living in places, I believe, like Oregon, so very sorry that that is part of uh, the laws for you. Um, man, move to uh, move to Texas. <laughs> right. Um, continuing on, one more uh, point here. Uh, water can be purified inexpensively when living off grid. 15 drops of bleach, plain unscented, per gallon of water costs less than one penny. Bleach is effective against both cholera and typhoid and has kept American water supplies safe for decades. One-fourth cup of hydrogen peroxide, 3% per gallon, will also destroy bacteria. 20 minutes of a hard, roiling boil will too. This is the most effective way to clean water. All right, so let's go ahead and talk about cooking because you got to eat. Sure, the human body can make it quite a spell without any real substantive food, but it would be far from an enjoyable experience. A good warm meal when the poop has hit the fan can really encourage the spirit, even though the struggle is alive and thriving. So campfire cooking. This is probably the simplest method when living off-grid. The Boy Scout technique is extremely straightforward. Grab a few bricks or rocks and place them in or around a small fire, Good for heating up a can of beans. However, it is hard to have any control over the results of the food. This fire with a simple pan can typically only be used to cook meats and a few vegetables due to the open heat. Provided you have the fuel, wood, charcoal, etc., campfire cooking can fulfill most of your culinary needs. If you happen to own a cast iron Dutch oven, you are in for a real treat as this tool can be used for heaps of different things. Slow cooker, oven for baking, etc., Using the hot coals and ash from your fire, you can have a mean supper, slow cooking, all day long. And so uh, the campfire cooking, if you've never done that before, you know, if you have a, uh, a pit, a fire pit, and, and uh, maybe you, know, you live in the suburbs, whatever, right? You have a fire pit, and uh, you, you, uh, when it gets colder, um, you light it up so the family can go out there and, and hang out by the fire. Maybe you take a little bit of time uh, just go out to, to go out there and try a little bit of campfire cooking. Now, yeah, cooking on the direct flames is going to be a little bit harder, and you're going to burn your food and stuff like that. But you can easily do things like move coals away from the, the main fire so that you can use that to heat up 
whatever you know, whatever pots or whatever you you need to do. Or you can always uh, you know make a way to hang your pots over the fire, and uh, that way you can uh, use that to. Uh, to change the temperature of uh, of as you're as you're cooking your food, so uh, you know a little bit of practice there never hurt. And so maybe you could even go on a camping trip. That would be great to do that and to uh, practice a little bit of campfire cooking. Um, the next one is a propane and a butane camp stove, and these are um, I, I think as well if you are preparedness minded. I think there is a, it's a goal to eventually get one of these stoves because you can do a lot with it. So let's go ahead and talk about this one. These are easy as pie to use and are immensely reliable. The results are no different than what you will find in the ordinary home. Because the heat is so consistent, you can even do a bit of pressure canning on it if it were the right time of season. An 18-gallon tank will set you back around $30 new and on average is around 6 to 10 to get refilled. Again, this is all good and well, provided you can still obtain the refills. Now, that's a little on the inexpensive side. Um, definitely in the Houston area, it's a little bit more expensive to, uh, to buy a brand new tank and to get it refilled. One full tank will last approximately a full month of, of daily use before running dry. The average butane stove lasts for about eight hours. These stoves are perfect if you require something that needs to be portable. They are lightweight and easy to use. The other thing about uh, the propane uh, camp stoves is, you know, you can buy the little small canisters, the little two-pound canisters, and you can kind of stock up on those if you don't have room to store the big propane tanks or the 18 to 20-pound tanks, uh, you know, or, you know, money's a little bit tighter and you can only buy a little bit at a time. Uh, but yeah, if you do get the, the bigger tanks, they do make attachments that you can use to connect those to your, your, your stove. So you will need that if you decide to get some of the bigger tanks. All right, so solar cooking. This method of cooking will require plenty of unimpeded sunlight and plenty of time. Someone in the group or you yourself will have to adjust the direction of the cooker every 30 minutes or so, which really is no big deal throughout the day, especially when some good eating is in store for the efforts. Now, you could go out and get yourself a big, nice solar cooker and spend a bit of money, or you could simply make your own for next to nothing. The choice is yours. So from saving money on water usage to cheap and inexpensive cooking, off-grid or even in case of emergency living can be as easy on the wallet as you allow it to be. As we preppers know full and well, staying on top of our game means being equipped and ready for any and all things. In part two of this article, we'll cover three more primary areas of importance, refrigeration, heating and cooling, and laundry. And so definitely we'll look to do this uh, second article, part two, a little bit later on, uh, or well, next week, actually, uh, we'll, we'll share this article. So, uh, you know, again, you can consider this the off-grid, the homesteading side of it, or you can uh, definitely use this information for um, a time where, uh, you know, utilities are off, whether that is a natural disaster, like, um, you know, here, Hurricane Harvey in, in the Houston area, um, even during Hurricane Ike, there, you know, past hurricanes that we've had, there's been places where uh, they didn't have electricity for a week or even more. And, you know, we were lucky. We have people that we can go to. We have family members all over town. So if we needed to, for instance, if our part of town was uh, didn't have electricity, which uh, during Hurricane Harvey, that was the case. We were able to go to my parents' house. And really, it was only a day. And then uh, the power was back on. 
but uh, other people are not as lucky. You know, they're, they, they live in the area and they don't have any other family members or um, maybe they don't want to be a burden on other people. And so they decide to kind of stick it out and write it out. But uh, it's very inconvenient, and so they find ways to uh, to get around it. And so, uh, you know, things to keep in mind, and because we are preppers and we are preparedness-minded, these things are really good things to know. And even you might want to put some of these things in your goals or even have some of these things, uh, some gear that, that you really need to uh, to purchase and uh, you're looking forward to uh, to obtain. So guys, that's over at PreppersWill.com. And like always, I'm going to link to it in the show notes so you can go check it out for yourself. All right, our next article comes to us from SurvivalCommonSense.com. And uh, you know, this is a website that I have been uh, going to since I first started in preparedness. And, and Leon's website is one of the those that I just remember going to. And he is... Um, I think he's a journalist by you know profession, but he does a lot of work with Boy Scouts, and uh, you know he's done a lot of uh, great articles about that. And like the name says, survival common sense is just real common sense stuff here. And uh, this article, I think it's uh, it's an important one as we talk about being prepared and uh, survival and all that good stuff. Uh, this one is entitled Five Reasons to Own a Twenty Two Rifle." And so it's not a very long article, but one I I think is very relevant to the preparedness community. So let's go ahead and read this one. A firearm using the diminutive 22 rimfire cartridge should be in every survival cache or preparedness gear collection. Here's why you should consider adding one to yours. I love a 22 rimfire rifle and hunt with one every fall. My favorite small game animal is the squirrel and taking one with the rifle is challenging. Want a real hunting challenge? Try harvesting a squirrel with a flintlock rifle. I voluntarily, and guys, and the reason he's saying that there, there's a link there that you can go check out. I voluntarily handicapped my hunting success for the sake of sport. But really, what survival value is there in the tiny cartridge? Isn't the 22 too underpowered to be of much value? And who needs to invest the money on a 22 that could be applied to a bigger, more expensive firearm? Besides, doesn't an AR-15 just about cover all your survival firearms needs? Answer, absolutely not. Read Beginner Firearms, and there's a link there for you. Here are five reasons you need a 22 rifle. Cost. The most inexpensive cartridge firearms are 22. Ammo is generally very affordable, and that makes target practice a lot more practical. A box of 50 22 long rifle cartridges is also lightweight and easy to carry. And 22 rifles and handguns are also the least expensive firearms to buy. Watch the sales around the beginning of hunting season, and you will probably find good deals. Efficiency. Growing up an Iowa farm boy, I put down several injured hogs that weighed several hundred pounds, each with my Ruger 10-22. A shot placed behind the ear, aiming for the offside eye, brought an instantaneous end to the animal's suffering. Death in the Long Grass author, Peter Hathaway Capstick, claimed he once killed an elephant on a bet with a 22 long rifle. He was working at the time as a Kenyan government hunter, culling herds that were overgrazing and rampaging through villages. He did not recommend the practice, but claims he knew a particular spot where an artery ran just below the hide. I take all such tells with a grain of salt, 
but obviously shot placement is always critical. A 22 is illegal virtually everywhere for hunting big game animals, so don't plan on using one or considering a 22 as a backup big game rifle. Training. A 22 has no recoil and the sound is not ear splitting. This allows the newcomer to concentrate on aiming, trigger control, and safe gun handling without worrying about getting smacked in the chops every time the trigger is pulled. The 22 gun handling and safety skills carries over to other bigger firearms. If you're setting up a survival firearm battery, it might be a good idea that the 22's actions be the same as that of the larger centerfire rifle. Under stress, people will revert to their previous training. A 22 is also a valuable tool for people learning to hunt. Anyone who does a lot of rabbit or squirrel hunting will find the activity is superb training for white-tailed deer hunting, and the stalking and concealment skills learned in squirrel hunting could be applied to combat. Hunting Every big game animal in the United States has been taking, taken with a 22, but that doesn't mean you should plan on using a 22 for big game hunting. For hunting small game though, the 22 has no peer. It is my caliber of choice for squirrel and rabbit hunting, and a 22 can't also keep the predators in check. Don't underestimate the need for controlling smaller pests. That gopher or rat ravishing your garden could be more dangerous to your long-term survival than any number of big game or human predators. Protection The 22 ranks about dead last on my list of protection calibers and is not my choice for a self-defense round. While there is no question a 22 can't put down large animals or human predators, the small cartridge can only be used effectively by an expert. So unless the shot is placed in a vital area, the 22 doesn't have the knockdown power to stop an attacker quickly. But on the other hand, a 22 rifle in the hands of a trained shooter with the will to use it can effectively stop any attack. Read before you buy a gun. So there's another link there. An additional benefit is ammo availability. It doesn't matter how far you travel off the beaten path. Chances are any backwoods gas station or convenience store will have 22 ammunition. And during the apocalyptic stuff hit the fan scenario, 22 rimfire cartridges would be prime barter items in your survival cache. So do you need a 22 rimfire? Obviously, I'm going to say yes. In my humble opinion, the only... The only question is not if, but when will you get one? Use the tiny cartridge for target practice, training and protection, and shoot it a lot. So there's a couple of comments here. Uh, not a lot of comments, but seven comments. And you know, somebody was talking about the different types of ammo and uh, how they got their wife, you know, uh, to to shoot more accurately and to uh, to love, you know, going to the range or feel more comfortable going to the range using the 22. And uh, a lot of good advice here, um, definitely. And so, you know, if you are looking for um, a, a rifle, well, first of all, I, I would suggest you that suggest to you that you come and take, check out some of the articles here because Leon is very, uh, again, <laughs> like the name says, common sense, right? And so uh, he's going to lay it out for you. And uh, so go check out the the, the firearms and the rifle uh, links that he has in this article. 
and uh, to make some decisions. But definitely a 22 is one of those that when you read preparedness articles, it's one of the, the calibers, one of the rifles that you should have so that uh, if, if you need to, you're not wasting a lot of money on uh, the more expensive ammo when you're taking small game like you know, a squirrel or a rabbit, those types of things. And uh, you know, if you were in a true survival situation, uh, where you didn't have refrigeration and, and canning and, and doing beef jerky or you know all that type of stuff, uh, if, if you weren't sure on how to do all that kind of stuff in the wild, um, you would want to get small game because you, you would want to be able to survive off of that. You know, killing something, a big animal, and then letting the, the, the meat just go to waste there because you weren't able to uh, preserve it in a way. Uh, it's just that's just not not cool to do. So uh, having a, a 22 rifle is one of those rifles that uh, you know preppers and survivalists should have. Is not your go-to for defense, but it, there's a lot of uses for it, like Leon has said here. So uh, go check this article out. I'm going to link to it in the show notes, uh, like always. Well, guys, that is it for episode 360 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show head on over to the prepperwebsitepodcast.com. And that way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And take a moment to connect with me. I have a ton of ways to connect in the show notes. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.